Welcome to the Silver Screen Podcast. I'm Jared Boomer. And I'm Katie Ganey. This is a podcast about movies and pop culture. And today we are talking about another Netflix movie. This one, The Trial of the Chicago 7, starring lots of different people in this film. We'll get into that coming up in just a little bit. And also, this kind of kicks off our political movie series as we get closer to the election coming up in November. We've got a couple of movies that we're going to be highlighting. So talk about those later on, too. But Katie, how are you today? Jared, I am well. Thank you for asking. I would say, though, you and I were talking about weather earlier, and I am I we haven't had sunshine in three days. So I'm just kind of like it's that cold rain where it makes you want to sleep all the time and not be productive. And all I want to do is be productive <laughs> and put off winter as long as I can. But I would I'm healthy. My family's healthy. Thank you for asking. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So excited to talk about this movie today because I think it was pretty good. I think we both enjoyed it and we there's a lot of great actors and actresses in it. So we'll be discussing that coming up here on the Silver Screen Podcast. Again, that's today's movie, The Trial of the Chicago 7. But first, we had a few news items. But first, I want to give a shout out to your friend regarding the Halloween episode, which a lot of people have, have contacted us about and gave their opinions on Halloween because they didn't really like our opinions too much on Halloween, it seems like. Yes. I, this is from my friend Carrie. So Carrie is one of my favorite friends from a former workplace. And she was texting me because apparently this is one of her favorite movies. Or Halloween is, I mean. And she and her husband even dressed up as the character. So she was Jamie Lee Curtis one year and he was Michael Myers. And I did tell her, I was like, to be fair, my dad was also disappointed in my review. And <laughs> I said, I think it has to do with my, my age seeing this for the first time. I was like, if I was 10, that movie would have terrified me and probably would have been like a staple for a Halloween movie for me. But I think it just has to do with when I saw it. And also think about, I, I think we mentioned this in the episode, but how many years have I been hearing about this movie? Like it was so mm-hmm. hyped up that I was just kind of let down. But this is a formal public apology to Carrie um, and my dad about that episode. But I'm really glad people are listening to the episode. And we've also gotten a lot of feedback about Spirited Away. So I think those were great movie choices. Yeah. So if you haven't checked those episodes out, definitely go listen to those. You can just scroll back a little bit wherever you're listening to the Silver Screen Podcast and you can find those and all the episodes that we've done so far. And I have some Fast and Furious news for you, Katie. Wow. Um, this okay. is probably going to be more for Arjun than, than right. you because he's such right. a big Fast and Furious fan. But it was announced yesterday that the Fast and Furious franchise will end with the 11th <gasps> movie. So Fast oh, and Furious no. 9 is set to come out next year. It was supposed to come out this year. It got moved due to COVID, obviously. And then yes. they'll have Fast and Furious 10, Fast and Furious 11, and it'll end with the 11th film. So we've got three more of these technically that are be coming out. Okay. I don't know where he gets his news either, but I feel like every time I have some kind of entertainment thing to tell him, he already knows, but I don't know (laughs) how he gets this information quicker than I do, but oh well, but thank you for telling me. I will tell him when we're done recording. Sounds good. So I think that's probably a good place to end with the Fast and Furious franchise. They're all kind of similar type (laughs) movies. They're good. They're good action movies. I mean, we reviewed Hobbs and Shaw on here. What was that last year? Year before? Can't remember. Last year. Um, And we both enjoyed it. We thought it was pretty good. So, I mean, they're fun like popcorn movies. Go to the theater and just kind of, you know, turn your brain off and enjoy some some action sequences and some car chases and stuff. So I think think two more after the next one, though, will be good. So like three more total seems like a 
good number. And then, of course, there'll probably be like prequels or, you know, something like that. Or they'll continue the Hobbs and Shaw movies or something. So I don't think this is the end of the Fast and Furious movies because they just make too much money to just, you know, stop doing them completely. So agreed. So and then you and I had also uh, heard this week about Jeff Bridges only because we both we covered the Big Lebowski on the podcast, but it's one of my favorites and my brother's favorite movie. And he just seems like such a likable human. Um, not that anyone deserves cancer of any kind, but I certainly hope he gets better. Um, so he has lymphoma and he made like a public statement and said that they've caught it early and the prognosis mm-hmm. is good. So I'm going to believe him, um, wish him the best. I just feel like there's so many people that have died this year and because of COVID people we don't know. And then celebrities that we feel more familiar with, but either way, it's just like one more person, please just let's please let him live. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. So wishing the best there to Jeff Bridges. Great actor. Seems like a really nice person too. Seems very Mm -hmm. genuine as well. Like the person off screen is kind of the same as the person on screen. So at least that's what I've kind of gathered from him listening to, you know, his speeches and stuff and hearing him talk and things like that. So yeah, wishing the best there for Jeff Bridges who did get diagnosed with cancer earlier this week. So with that, we'll move into our recommendations for today. We don't have any corrections, so go us once again. Um, yeah. I did finish my my book I was reading, The Silent Patient. So <gasps> Excellent. I did enjoy it. I would definitely Good. recommend it if you want a thriller to read. Of course, Katie, you've already read it. But if you haven't read it yes. and you're listening, it's a short read and a pretty quick read. So check that one out. And then I started a new book called The Great Alone by Kirsten Hannah. Oh, Kristen Hanna. Hannah. Kristen Hannah. Yeah. Yep. Yes. So, Jared, I, just, I am so impressed with you this year. And thank you. you are reading books that I either have read or want to read. That is one that I've heard endlessly good things about, and I want to read it. So I haven't read it. Yeah, it's really good so far. It's about a family that uh, moves to Alaska, basically, to start like a new life. And their dad mm-hmm. was in the Vietnam War, and it's the, a daughter and, and a wife as well. So it just kind of details their living in Alaska. I'm not too far through the book yet, probably like 20, 25% done, but it's really good so far. And the characters are really interesting. And so I think it'll, it'll be interesting as we go on. It seems like something big is about to happen. So it seems like there could be a a plot twist or something coming pretty soon. So (laughs) that's great. Well, I please keep me posted and I commend you for your reading. Thank you. And then you had a few uh, TV shows that you watched on Netflix. Yes. Well, I so I talked about this last week that I was going to do these things, but I want to let people know I followed <laughs> through. I was a little Netflix watching fiend. I watched all of Emily in Paris in one day. But to be fair, if you love Sex in the City and Gossip Girl as much as I do, you will love the show and eat it right up. Please let me tell you the acting is subpar. Okay. Like subpar. But... Okay. Everyone in the show is so beautiful and likable and the fashion's amazing and it's by Darren Starr and he was the one that did Sex in the City. I mean, you really can't be let down, especially if you're like me and you're a total Francophile and you're obsessed with everything French. Um, so that was lovely. And it's nice to see another country that we can't go to now. It feels like it's kind of like escapism, mm-hmm. um, yeah. but it was great. But the episodes are only 24 minutes long. So to get through it, it's eight episodes. So to get through that in one day is honestly not. That's not that crazy that I did it. No. (laughs) Um, And I did. I want to let people know I also moved around my apartment while I was watching. So I had it on my phone for a while. I had it on a TV and I was doing things around my room. So it's not like I just sat for four hours. 
Who cares? <laughs> anyway, then I also watched all of Selling Sunset, which is three seasons, but it's like eight episodes a season. And that I did over the weekend and part of the week. But um, I get why people are obsessed with it. I am appalled at what people pay for houses. Uh, what I will say the benefit of watching Selling Sunset is you get some great fashion, but also it gave me it gave me the val- validation I needed for never moving to L.A. Okay. Everything about it like fully disgusted me. And it just seemed like I could never be happy there or afford to live there. And it it's too vain. I hate it. Okay. Um, no offense to anyone in L.A. that listens to our podcast. Thank you. But it's for someone like me that grew up in Indiana. I just can't do it. And then I finished two books this week, um, but they weren't amazing. They were fine. Um, but next week, I'm hoping to have a couple more books finished and I'll let you know. And then okay. I will finish Harry Potter five and six. Nope. Six and seven. <laughs> I never finished in October. So I plan to finish those this month, too. OK, good to know. So <laughs> those, those are our recommendations for this week. So with that, we'll move into our discussion on the trial of the Chicago 7, which came out on Netflix on October 16th of 2020. It's, of course, streaming on Netflix. It is showing at some small theaters and also some drive-ins. So it is in some theaters across the country, depending on possibly where you are, if you have drive-in theaters, things like that. Drive-ins are kind of just trying to show whatever new movies they can. So this is a pretty big-name movie with some big-name actors in it. So that makes sense why it would be at at some drive-ins and it's rated r for drug use bloody images language and some violence it's two hours and nine minutes long and then imdb it's got an 8.0 out of 10 so really solid score there the rotten tomatoes critics and audience both at 92 percent so very highly rated on both of those and then box office wise it's made one hundred and four thousand dollars worldwide so far according to box office mojo it's been released in south korea uh, Norway and the Netherlands. So that's where all that money has come from so far. So hmm. kind of interesting there. No U.S. Yeah. Uh, money reported yet, but that'll probably be coming this next week once we get like another box office update. So <laughs> that makes sense, though. So like the Netherlands, this is doing great. So I don't know much about the Netherlands, but this movie is out there. Right. So. <laughs> that is interesting. I did see that, too, but I, I don't know what the reasoning is. So if you don't know, the synopsis for this movie is the story of seven people on trial stemming from the various charges surrounding the uprising at the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago, Illinois. Hence the name, The Trial of the Chicago Seven. There's seven of them and they're on trial. And this kind of goes back and forth between (laughs) being a courtroom drama and showing you some of the events that actually happened, um, you know, mixed in with footage of the real life events, which I think is one thing that we'll talk about later on. Um, But kind of goes back and forth between those two aspects, which is one thing that I liked. It didn't stay just a courtroom movie. It didn't say just, uh, you know, like a historical drama. It kind of mixed the two together. So, Yes, I think that's a really good observation because I I hadn't put that into words, but I agree with you. I think that that kept it um, eventful and interesting. So with that, we have some critics reviews now. First, we have James Berardinelli of Real Views, who says in his screenplay, Sorkin does a masterful job of picking through months of testimony to 
to find significant exchanges that speak a universal language about the corruption of power and the desire to silence opposition voices. I like this because the trial did go on for a very long time, as you see in the movie. So being able to condense that down to a two hour and 15 minute movie, which I did not feel like was too long. Honestly, I thought it was kind of just the right length, I think is, is very well done by Sorkin in terms of being able to take all of that content and all of those, you know, court documents and things like that and kind of pick the most important days or parts of the trial. Yes, I think they did a good job of that, too, because I I kind of wondered how long this went on because it kept saying how many days they were on during the trial. And I I think they did a good job of showing the highlights. There's another quote. Oh, no, this is the quote. Sorry, I was trying to think. I knew I picked one because Sorkin, I <laughs> love him. Um, I think that's obvious in most of what I have to say today. But I thought I think he does this really well with all the shows and all the movies he's associated with, where he picks the important things that that a viewer needs to know. Yes, I would agree. So our next review is from The Wall Street Journal. So just get ready. It has some large language in it. It's Joe Morgenstern of The Wall Street Journal who says (laughs) Sorkin's film is sometimes eloquent and sustained for the most part by his flair for hyperverbal entertainment. Yet it also diminishes its aura of authenticity with dubious inventions and muddles its impact by taking on more history than it can handle. Great job, Jared. Thank you. That was a word mouthful right there. It so, really was. <laughs> but um, this one, not as positive as James's review, I would think. Um, still, I still think this guy liked the movie. He just didn't like it as much. So... And then Mm -hmm. finally, we have Anne Horningday of the Washington Post, who says the trial of the Chicago 7 offers an absorbing primer in a chapter of American history that was both bizarre and ruefully meaningful. And I don't know how familiar you were with this trial before you watched this movie. I didn't really know that much about it. So I would say this movie definitely informed me a lot about this particular trial and time in history. I had no idea about this trial. I felt kind of silly, but I will say I loved this quote because I thought there were a lot of things in this movie that are eerily similar to today. Mm -hmm. I would agree. So this is directed, of course, by Aaron Sorkin, who you might know more for his screenplays. He's been a very big screenwriter throughout his entire career has directed one other movie that was Molly's game back in 2017 um, with Jessica Chastain is in that. That's a very good movie as well. If you haven't seen it. And of course he has written tons of scripts and he's been nominated for three Oscars for best adapted screenplay for the social network, Molly's game, and Moneyball, and I know The Social Network and Moneyball are both on Netflix right now, and he won an Oscar for The Social Network back in 2011. So he definitely knows how to write his scripts. He, of course, did The West Wing, which is also on Netflix. If you've ever seen that, he wrote most of the episodes of that show, was the creator of it, things like that. So very well known in Hollywood, for sure, especially for his writing. And you found an interesting little article or notes about some things that you can typically find in an Aaron Sorkin script. Yes, I loved this. So this was on IMDb. I can't take the credit. Okay. Um, but whoever wrote it, I, I thought these were fascinating. And I could have told you this myself, but I appreciated how they wrote it. So they said, um, here are things you can typically find in a Sorkin script. Rapid fire, quick exchange and tightly scripted dialogue between characters Characters with sarcastic dispositions. Uh, hello, social network. Yeah. <laughs> intelligent female characters, which I just love, but also social network. Mm-hmm. And then intelligent and cocky, but troubled protagonist. I thought that was perfect to a T. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. I and think then that's... I put... Oh, oh, sorry. What were you going to say? <laughs> no. <laughs> then I just put, can you tell I love a Sorkin script? Because I do. <laughs> I like all of those things. I mean, I don't love cocky people, but I do think that... Um, the way he writes and the the people that are in the movie that that he's telling a story about, there is always someone that's kind of like this cocky, full of themselves person. But it makes it more interesting because I don't necessarily relate to them, but they they create conflict. And I don't think there's ever a wasted moment in an Aaron Sorkin script, like you said, like rapid fire yes. exchange and very tightly scripted. Especially if you look at like the Social Network, like that movie is just as long as it needs to be, and not really a minute longer. And there's multiple like behind the scenes stuff that the actors had to talk kind of faster than they would normally talk. Like Jesse Eisenberg in that movie just flies through his dialogue basically because Sorkin wrote a longer script, but was like, we kind of need to get this all in. So Mm -hmm. David Fincher are like, well, we'll just kind of make the actors talk faster so that we can fit all this information in. But yeah, Aaron Sorkin scripts definitely like fly at you very quickly. So there's really not a lot of like dead space in them at all. So with that, we will take a quick break here on the Silver Screen Podcast, and then we'll talk about the cast for this movie, which is which is stacked, and then we'll also discuss our likes and dislikes coming up for the trial of the Chicago 7 right here on the Silver Screen Podcast. And we're back here on the Silver Screen Podcast talking about the trial of the Chicago 7. Time now to get into the cast, starting with Eddie Redmayne. <laughs> I love Eddie Redmayne so much. I think everybody knows this, but even if I wasn't interested in this film, I would have tuned in just to watch Eddie Redmayne for two hours and nine minutes. Let me tell you. <laughs> oh, I love Eddie. I I mean, I really like him for so many different reasons. I also think he's wildly attractive. I think some people don't, but um, can I also tell you, sidebar, we're already going this direction, but there is a scene where Eddie in this movie is wearing a scarf and like a pea coat. He looks like he's in a Burberry ad. And I even said that to Arjun when we were watching it. But I thought that was funny because he used to be a model for Burberry. So anyway, <laughs> it was just fun. It, it wasn't out of character or anything for the film that made sense with the movie we were watching in the time period. But it looked like a Burberry ad. Yes. Anyway, Eddie is an English actor. He is best known for The Theory of Everything, The Danish Girl, Les Miserables, and Jupiter Ascending. He did attend Eton College and is friends with Prince William. I love to point that Mm. out. He has been nominated for two Best Acting Oscars for The Theory of Everything and The Danish Girl, and he won for his portrayal of Stephen Hawking in The Theory of Everything in 2014. I remember exactly where I was when he won. I was living in (laughs) Georgia at the time. Next up, he will be in Fantastic Beast and Where to Find Them 3. Um, Also, I want to just say why, 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 why? Stop it. Why? And a movie called The Good Nurse. So looking forward to that. Not to be confused with well, the good doctor. Well, looking forward to one of those. Which is a TV show. Right. So. That's a TV show. Not, not the same thing. So, <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we have Sasha Baron Cohen. He plays Abby Hoffman. He is also an English actor. He is best known for Borat, Bruno, Talladega Nights, and he was also in Les Miserables. Um, he married Isla Fisher, and they have several kids together. I think that's always an interesting couple, but they make a lot of sense when you read about their histories. Um, unbelievably, to me, he was nominated for a Best Adapted Screenplay Oscar for Borat in 2007, but he didn't win. And then next up, there's going to be... So IMDb put another Borat movie. I don't know if they're talking about the one where he is making fun of Mike Pence. If you Do you know what I'm talking about, Jared? Um, I don't, but I know there is something coming to Amazon Prime, like, next week. I think... It's, like, basically Borat 2, so, yeah. 
Oh, okay. So I could be getting confused. I, I probably should have looked it up. I know there was something where he was making fun of Mike Pence. I'm not saying I am. I'm just saying he made something. And I was wondering if it was the Borat, Borat thing, because the way IMDb lists it, it doesn't say like, this is the title of the project. Okay. Um, so I couldn't tell. And then also he's going to be in a movie called Mandrake the Magician. So stay okay. tuned. And if you're a big Sasha fan, there you go. Nice. Yes. And then next up we have Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. He plays Bobby Seal. I couldn't believe everything he'd been in that I have seen or heard of, like how much fame he already has. Um, he's from New Orleans, Louisiana, one of my favorite places in the U.S. He is only two years older than me, Jared. Okay. Important to know. He has 20 acting credits so far. He was in The Greatest Showman, Baywatch, the movie that was filmed while I lived in Savannah. And had a recurring role on the TV show Watchmen, the one on HBO that everyone's raving about. Mm -hmm. I've heard that's good. Yep. Yes. And then next up, he already has a ton of projects listed. He's going to be in Candyman, The Matrix 4, Aquaman 2, and Mad Max, The Wasteland. So you'll see him again. Yeah. Those are all going to be like... Pretty impressive. Those are all going to be like huge movies too. Huge. Yeah. yeah. I was like, wow, he he came into it at the right time. So good for him. And I watched a great, he was on um, Stephen Colbert the other night and he was just really delightful. So watch that interview if you're interested in him. Nice. And then lastly, we have Sir Mark Rylance. He is uh, William Kunstler in this film. He is also an English actor. And I just want to put out, apparently we couldn't get American men to portray these Chicagoans. No. Um, however, Yahia is, of course, he's American. But mm-hmm. um, anyway, Mark Rylance was nominated and won a Best Supporting Actor Oscar for his role in Bridge of Spies in 2016. He is also known for Dunkirk, The Gunman, and The BFG. And next, he is going to star as Satan in The Last Planet. Ooh. Oh, wow. Also, I would say he won the Oscar <laughs> for Bridge of Spies. That may be one of his most boring performances that I've ever seen. Yes, I don't understand. I remember you and I watched that movie and I was just like, I don't I don't get it. It was but fine. I haven't watched it, it since fine. then. It was interesting yeah. story, but like it's a very like dad movie. Um, like, exactly you know. right. It was it was fine. It's a dad movie. And yeah, but I thought he was uh, better in Dunkirk and in this movie than than Burgess Spies. Yes. So and the the cast too in this movie, we I know you and I, Jared, talked about like, oh, who should we highlight? So this has an amazing cast, this movie. So I just want to say the other people in this that you would recognize are Jeremy Strong, Joseph Gordon Levitt, John Carroll Lynch, Franklin Gella, Alex Sharp, and Michael Keaton. So didn't want to leave them out. Very nice. So also I have to give a shout out to one of my friends Please. who is an extra in this movie. Um, and also a UND alum, that would be Colin Bowles, who is from what? Chicago. And He's is, in this? He is in this movie. The scene where Sasha Baron Cohen and Jeremy Strong are going to the police station. Yes. Um, you can see him in a couple of different shots in that scene, just as a part of the crowd when they are chanting. What's that phrase that they keep chanting over and uh, over again? I is forget. it the blood one? Blood in the streets? The, no, it's the... something else. Um, I don't know why. I don't remember it. I didn't write it down. So... Um, but that is the part of the movie that he's in. So kind of in that crowd and he's very tall. So so you'll definitely see him. So that is really cool. I want you next time you watch it, if you could point it out to me or if he has a screenshot or something. Sure. And I, while we're doing shout outs, I might as well do one too. Cause I forgot to tell you this. Okay. Uh, Because we just did the Ghostbusters episode. My friend listened to the episode and she, her husband's cousin. I want to make sure I got that right. Yes. 
Uh, he does all the brand development and he's a producer on the newest movie that's going to come out. Okay. Um, so he, he did like, he made a lot of approval decisions and stuff. And then he also did things in stranger things as well. But I thought that is so cool that I know, I know someone directly, but his cousin is the one that's involved in the production, but still really cool. Nice. Also the, uh, scene that they were, the, the phrase that they were chanting during that scene is the whole world is watching. So, Oh yes. Okay. I'm with you. And if you go on the IMDb page and go all the way down in the cast and the crew, you will see uh, Colin. So you got to go oh kind of far down, but gosh. he is in there. So his I character's so name jealous. is uh, Radical Protester. So, <laughs> Wow, that's crazy. But good job, Colin. I've met Colin. That is really exciting. Way to go. Yes. So congrats, Colin, for getting in this Aaron Sorkin movie. So definitely a Greyhounds for life. Way to go. <laughs> now we'll move into our likes and dislikes for this movie. Uh, first, the casting is, is really solid. Of course, everybody in this movie is really good, really knows their roles, does a great job, especially when you, uh, you know, assemble a cast like this where like Joseph Gordon-Levitt and like Frank Langella are like seven down the cast list uh, and Michael yes. Keaton. You know that you're going to have a pretty solid cast. So. Some of the accents were weird. Like, I didn't love Jeremy Strong's accent. I felt like that was just a very, like, stoner accent that was just, like, super easy to do that wasn't, like, that impressive. Um, And then you didn't really like Sasha Baron Cohen's accent. But you thought Eddie's was good. Yeah. Well, and this isn't even me being in love with Eddie. I really... I felt like... uh, Eddie is someone that I think naturally might be better at accents in general. Well, I shouldn't say that because Sasha does great accents in other movies, but I think it depends what accent he's doing. Mm -hmm. Um, But that being said, I didn't, there were times that I would notice you could hear his English accent coming out where I felt like Eddie, you didn't at any point. There wasn't a single thing he said where I was like, Oh, that didn't sound, you know, like he's from Chicago. So that might have just been me, but I did. I felt like I caught Sasha multiple times where he was kind of like you could hear a lilt that belonged to like an English speaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that, that make makes sense? sense? Is that yeah, fair? I think that's understandable. Yeah, I think it is. So and I know they're trying to nail these accents, like you said, but also like you could get American actors to play Americans, you know, if you wanted to. So and then they wouldn't yeah. even have to do an accent or they do a Chicago yes. accent. So but like trying to do a Chicago accent when you're, you know, an Englishman can be kind of difficult, I feel like. So mm-hmm. but props to some some of them did again. Some of them did well. Others not not so great on their accents. <laughs> so um the writing is very good of course in this movie. That's another like. It's an Aaron Sorkin script. You kind of expect that with Aaron Sorkin if the writing's bad with an Aaron Sorkin script then, you know, we're going to have some problems. So, he doesn't do too many projects like too close together. Like it's been 3 years since Molly's Game came out. So, it'll probably be another 2-3 years before he comes out with another movie, and I think because he takes so much time on his scripts that they usually turn out to be really good. That's a good point. I never realized there was that much time in between the films. Yeah. So and for screenwriters, sometimes they'll just keep knocking out scripts because, you know, you can write a screenplay faster than you can like film a movie. Um, And normally how screenwriters make money is they sell their scripts. Aaron Sorkin probably doesn't have to do that anymore because he has enough money to have his own, you know, production company and direct these movies and stuff like that. But normally that would be the case. But, you know, he wrote Molly's Game. He wrote Steve Jobs back in 2015. And then four years before that was Moneyball. Granted, he was working on the newsroom, too, but usually always working on something, but never like two or three projects at once usually just only only one thing so Mm -hmm. 
Oh, and Moneyball, if you are interested in that film or want to revisit it, it's on Netflix right now. It is. I saw it just popped up on there with Brad Pitt, Jonah Hill. That's a good yes. one. So very interesting sports movie. Even if you don't like sports, I would suggest you watch it because it's more about like the management of a sports team and also Brad Pitt's, you know, trying to deal with some things going on in his life. And so it's a good movie. So definitely check that one out. Um, also, another like is that when you get the historical facts after the movie's over, kind of while the credits are about to roll, I always appreciate that just to know what happened to the people that we saw in the movie. What did they go on to do later in life? Are they still alive? You know, what were their f- careers after this? Things like that. I, I appreciate when they put those put those Me in there. Me too. That's one of my favorite things that they do. And I did think about researching this further to share, but I also kind of I kind of just thought this movie could speak for itself. And I I don't always want to bore people with some of that stuff because they can look it up. But also, um, I, I think we have semi so, somewhat of an understanding that any film that's based, you know, air quotes, based on a true story is going to have some Hollywood magic thrown in where they're going to kind of like change some of the facts and stuff. Mm-hmm. Also, the stuff at the end some of it was really depressing. Like it some was. of these men that are highlighted in the film, like either completed suicide. Someone got hit by a car while Jay, it was Jerry Rubin. He got hit yep. by a car while jaywalking and died. Um, but then people like Tom Hayden, I was very happy to see went on to be a U.S. I believe it's Senator, right? I believe so. Yeah. I think it is Senator um, for like six, six terms, six years, something like that. <laughs> I mean, I'm doing this from memory. So, But yeah, I love when they do the historical facts. And I also think that really helps. um, It puts a nice ending on the film. Like, I think it would be weird if it just ended and I had no understanding of what really happened or what happened to these men after the story ends that we see on the film. Yes. So another like that I had that kind of goes back to the script is there's a lot of people in this movie, but I like how Sorkin would either put the names up on the screen or just did a good job early on in the movie of to continue referencing characters by their names, just so you could kind of learn those, especially for a courtroom drama. That's kind of important because people will present facts and statements and reference other people's names and things like that. So you kind of have to have a good understanding of who's who. And I thought there's a lot of people in this movie, but I thought he did a good job, especially early on kind of just making sure that characters call each other by their names a lot, just so the audience knows kind of who's who. Mm hmm. Also, the uh, the setting for this movie is interesting, and the story is interesting, too. Like we both said, we hadn't heard of this before. Don't know if that's, you know, us being uneducated or just not being in history books or what. <laughs> Who knows what? But I had not heard of this before this movie, so I appreciate that this movie was made because I always like when we go see a movie and we are able to learn something about a historical event or a person in history or something like that, like Harriet Tubman movie, you know, that came out last year that you and I both really liked. Uh, I knew she was a part of the underground railroad, but there was just so much more that she did throughout her life that was kind of covered in that movie that I was not familiar with. So it's really hard when, you know, you're taking a U.S. history class or whatever, and Harriet Tubman gets a paragraph or a half a page in a history book and something like this, the same thing, when there's really so much more to be told about that than just the little snippet that they put they put in a textbook. So yeah, I thought this was such an interesting story to tell. I'm not even sure what, you know, provoked um, Sorkin to write it, but it was a fascinating story. I did ask my parents about it uh, recently just to, just to see if they remember They knew exactly what I was talking about. I also think this is something that 
Um, it was good that Sorkin felt the need to educate people about it because I think it's something we hear a lot about the Vietnam War and people opposing mm-hmm. it. But I feel like this is something that was probably happening in more than just, well, I know it was happening in more than just Chicago. So I think it's something that could have easily been forgotten or just kind of, you know, you read a line about it in the history books. So I like that Sorkin chose, you know, we need to talk about this specific thing. And it's so timely because it does seem like I I at least think that um, I mentioned earlier, I think there's a lot of similarities to protests happening today. I think I equate it more right now with Black Lives Matter. But we're seeing this kind of same thing happen where people are talking about, like, is rioting okay? Is it rioting or is it protesting? Can we do nonviolent protesting? There's a lot of those same discussions happening right now. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that this takes place at the Democratic National Convention, I mean, this is an election year. So we had the Democratic and Republican National Conventions earlier this year, even if they weren't done really so much in person as more virtually just because of COVID. But those did happen this year and those happen every four years. So the fact that this movie references a a political convention, um, you know, and comes out in a year when there's political conventions going on, I think also brings some relevance as well. So, yes. Also, my final like is that I liked that it was interlaced with real footage at times, especially when the, you know, riots do happen or the police and the protesters are interacting with one another. There are things that happen, you know, in the movie and then Sorkin would cut to some real life footage from back in the 1960s that showed basically the exact same thing happening. And they would even have the actors kind of do the same movements as the real life people or have the police officers, you know, basically conduct violence on them in the same way that happened in 1968. So I appreciated that realism aspect and he didn't use it a ton. Like he didn't even use it as much as Spike Lee used it in the five bloods, which we reviewed Uh on on the show too. But I liked how there was just a few moments where you saw some, some real life footage interlaced with the, the movie. Yes, I, I appreciate that as well. And I, I also am just fond in general of that time period both the the clothing and stuff, but just what was happening. It was a fascinating time and you could see where people were really resisting what was going on and how different to me the generational gap was. Like the people, like baby boomers and stuff, like people that fought in the war versus people that were young or like our parent, my parents' age at least, growing up being teenagers and college students at this time. What a weird, what a weird time. Yes, for sure. So do you have any other likes before we move on to dislikes? I am all set. Thank you. Okay, well, we'll move on to dislikes now for the trial of the Chicago 7. First uh, dislike is this kind of has a slow start, which is odd to say for an Aaron Sorkin movie because normally you look at Aaron (laughs) Sorkin movies and they start fast, like Social Network, Moneyball, Molly's Game, all kind of start quickly. So the fact that this takes some time to get going is just uncharacteristic of kind of a Sorkin script because normally he just puts you right into the middle of things. So yes, I did exactly. I did I did find this movie very interesting. I liked the story. Definitely as we got going, I was more intrigued in it. But like the first 20 30 minutes I get that we had to set stuff up, but once we actually got in the courtroom and the case was actually happening, that's when I thought the movie got got way more interesting for me. I completely agree. I, I, this is so funny too, because I'm reading a book right now and honest to God, like the first 80 pages, I was not really interested. And then something happened and I was like, whoa, okay, I'm in. (laughs) And I felt like that's exactly what happened with this film. There were, I, I would say like the first 30 minutes, maybe I did think it was interesting how he would show. I did like at the beginning 
he showed the different characters like where they were and how were they how they were involved mm-hmm. in in any kind of politics. So I thought that was interesting. But yeah, I just initially had a very hard time getting interested in the film. So that's a dislike for me. Uh, another dislike is that this has a very big uh, cast, but it's basically entirely male. Uh, there's not really many females in this movie at all. Granted, it is based on a real life event. So, the, you know, the, the trial of the Chicago 7 was mostly males that were involved, but still really not a lot of female characters in this movie. They try to get a few, he tries to get a few in, but um, like with the FBI agent and some other people throughout the film, but there's just not a ton. It's probably 90, 10 uh, male to female. Yes, that because I even when I was looking up the cast and even saying it today while we're recording, I'm like, these are all men. Um, You know, I agree with you. It was history like you can't you can't rewrite something that actually did happen. But it's just kind of, you know, it's it's kind of same old, same old. It's interesting and nice to see other types of people and different genders and things portrayed on film. Also, we are we already kind of mentioned this last dislike, but. This movie has a lot of similarities to things that still take place in 2020 and things that still happen today. I mean, you still have corrupt police officers. You still have corrupt judges, um, all kinds of that. You know, the right to fair trial is still in question, depending on the case and the, the judge presiding and things like that. So some of these things still do happen in 2020 today, um, which just shows that we haven't really made a ton of advancements in 50 years. Yes, exactly. I it's, it was freaky to me how many similarities, and it was mostly upsetting to me for exactly why you said. I just thought, well, why is this still happening, or why are we not better? And that's not me saying nothing has gotten better, but it is frustrating to see a lot of things um, that are similar that I think, what did we learn? Like, did this that particular time, 1969, teach us nothing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So... But overall, pretty solid movie. We don't have too many dislikes for the film. Definitely on the positive side for this one. So are you ready to go ahead and give your grade for the trial of the Chicago 7? Yes, I am. I think I'm supposed to go first this week. I think so. Okay. I've already decided. So I overall really enjoyed this film. It has everything I like. I love drama. I love historical events. And I love anything in a courtroom. So I am all for it. I thought the acting was great. The cast was great. And I would watch it again, but I thought it was a little bit of a slow start. It's all males, blah, 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 what we just mentioned. I'm giving it an 87. Okay, very nice. Very good score for the trial of the Chicago 7. I'm going to go just slightly higher than you. Not that much higher, though. I know. Normally, I don't go higher than you, but I'm going to give it a 90 out of 100. So Lovely. That's great. Really enjoyed it. Kept my attention the whole time, like you said, especially once it gets into things. I thought it was very interesting. Uh, Watched it all in one day, which can't always be said for movies that we do on this show. So uh, liked the cast as well. Thought everybody was pretty good. Michael Keaton was kind of a nice surprise. We didn't talk much about him, but he kind of pops up for five minutes, which is kind of cool. And then really liked Frank Langella as well as the judge who wasn't the nicest guy, but really acted that character well. Yeah. So he did. He did. So 90 out of 100 for me, 87 (laughs) out of 100 for Katie for the trial of the Chicago 7. And if you're a fan of Frank Langella, 
Well, let me tell yeah. you, we are going to talk about him next week as well on our next episode of the Silver Screen Podcast. And we review <gasps> That's Frost right. Nixon, directed by Ron Howard, which stars Michael Sheen and Frank Langella. It's about the Frost Nixon television interviews that happened back in the 70s. And it was originally a Broadway a play and on the West End in London. And then the actors that did it on Broadway in the West End, Michael Sheen and, and Frank Langella, were in the movie that was done by Ron Howard. So, uh, Katie, I... you have not seen this movie, correct? No, I'm pumped. And I think we all know that I have quite the obsession with Nixon and Watergate and all of it. I So I have a question. Now that we're saying it over and over, is it Langella or Langel- Lang- Langella? Uh, because I, I don't actually know. Langella, but I could be wrong. <laughs> you know what? It might be a correction for next time. I'm going to look it up, though, because I genuinely don't know. And I don't know that I had ever said his name aloud until today. And, and- now I kind of think because because. Who is it? Is it Anthony Mingella? That's how you say his name. Okay. So now I'm wondering, but I could be wrong. I and just wanted to ask because I didn't know if I started that and said it wrong. I'm not sure. So, and we're going to talk about we'll him a, up. a lot next week. So we'll be sure to get it right before next week's episode. <laughs> so that'll be our next episode of the Server Screen Podcast talking about Frost, Frost Nixon from 2008. It is on Netflix if you want to watch it. So on there right now and a really good movie that came out back in in 2008 that was nominated for five Oscars. So definitely pretty solid film there. So we'll be talking about that next episode of the Silver Screen Podcast and you can follow the show on social media at Podcast Silver on Twitter and Instagram and then just search the Silver Screen Podcast on Facebook and you can find us there. The links are also in the description and the show notes for this episode so you can just click there. It'll take you right to it and then if you don't mind to rate and review the show wherever you listen that always helps us out we thank you very much for that that's always a positive thing and like we said our next episode of the show will be talking about frost nixon until next time we'd like to thank the academy 